Well, 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 WSQF, Blink Radio 94.5, Blink Radio, keep it scanning. I'm here with a radio socialist who's standing tall, working out, getting ready to fight in the food lines. How are you today, Alejandro? I'm fantastic, actually. I feel really good. Um, that the future is bright with your with your luxury tax coming out of California, so you can move over there and get taxed even if you leave. Is that it? Is that what you're? I mean, a lot of people are leaving California for a variety of reasons. Many and which Illinois is, and Philadelphia. I mean, well, California's biggest problem is like the drought that's been happening. The biggest problem are Democrats, single party. Congress, Parliament, no, sorry, you can't say Parliament, uh, California Congress, single party in New York. New York has always come down here and uh, has always uh, has always been a blue state, but California has had at least Republican governors now and then. Uh, New York did too. Reagan came from there. Yeah. Reagan. Yeah, did. Reagan. So... After making the biggest mistake of his life, the 1970 Family Act, he blew it, created no-fault divorce, and we went from 80% households with a dad to now 15% households with a dad. In the back, in the black community, I believe that's in the, you know... I mean, I think you should hate Reagan for his gun control policies. Nah. Yeah. We need everybody armed. No, he, he restricted that. Yeah, he, was, he restricted that. Yeah, he had the re, he has the, the residue. I mean, I hate Reagan for every reason. <laughs> it, it, like in all honesty, if I had lived through Reagan, Reagan would probably be my least favorite president I've ever lived through. Why? Because he because he, he actually made sense, or he was eloquent, or because he was an inspirational um, president. How much time do you have? Oh wait, you have two hours. Um, first, yeah. he killed a lot of gay people by allowing AIDS to really spread. Um, how would you the want Iran Contra affair? Time out. How would you want? I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta push back here. How would you? Ex- how did you expect him to uh, solve the AIDS crisis? Could have jumped on it, pushed some funding. There was no federal response for a very long time. For the longest time, they wouldn't even admit that it existed. Yeah, that, that I grant you. But that was a Republican. That was just human race because it was associated with gay people. And, Which and falls yeah, under his jurisdiction. But it, was, I, I, it I really would, came. Out I would blame him for not responding to uh, you know a humanitarian crisis. Okay, just but because you, it was targeting a certain community that people were more afraid of, particularly when maybe his base didn't like that. No, much we that weren't point. afraid of gays. We were afraid of their lifestyle. That we were afraid that gay people were sleeping with our daughters. That's what our fear was. But that makes no sense. Well, there. I mean, they're gay. There's a lot of like, a gay guys not going to go after your daughter. One thing the gays have to uh, acknowledge is that a good deal of them, probably half of them, have had bisexual relationships in one capacity or another. They're I not- mean, I'm bi and I've never done anything. Oh, he's admitting on the show today. Blink <laughs> once, I said it. Blink twice. You missed it. News for me, folks. I'm holding my hat. This is like groundbreaking on the 21st Young and Old show. My radio socialist is claiming he's bisexual. I would have never known. Yeah, that's it. And that was something See, that... See, you, you have more worried about like a guy like me than a gay guy. A gay guy is not going to sleep with your daughter. Well, you know what? I don't really... Uh, he might give your daughter fashion tips. That That's what he might do. He might criticize her outfit. Now, that, that's what he might be guilty of. Okay, so 
did you start off uh, heterosexual, ended up uh, bisexual, no, or you just had a relationship where I, I've, I, I primarily pretty much only date women, right? But you've had a relationship with a man before to make you gay. No, I am vastly <laughs> more interested in women, but there are men that I've almost had relationships with. Oh, almost, but that doesn't make you a bi. It's attraction. Also, you have that sense. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So let, let this is your moment in the sun, man. <laughs> let people understand that part uh, because I would never know what is it that a gay person feels like that you seem to understand. Where you acknowledge uh, uh, was it emotional attraction, sexual attraction, it's, physical you know, yeah, attraction? That, that's a good question because I really feel like with men, it's like. It's almost like an admiration that some guys are really cool, and I respect that about them. No, but you want to see. But I does, could, you want to take it to somewhere else. I could, that, that wouldn't bother me. Oh, it wouldn't bother you. So, so right now it's just like a rationalization. It's it's an acknowledgement that there's something in me that I've never really acted upon. Hmm. Do you think that is? An, uh, I've heard the statement before, and I but I, I, I tend been, to agree with it. I've been completely that, socialized to be primarily attracted to women and have sex with women. Now you feel it's not innate. You're saying you were socialized, meaning someone indoctrinated you to like women. Um, that can be. I don't think we're indoctrinated. Um, I don't think I, you I don't would like say that, that term. Uh, no, no, it's a terrible they, term. That's pe- why people talk about it like this. But I'm a big believer, and this actually got me into a fight with a lot of feminists in college. I'm a big believer in Freud. Oh. And I think... Uh, I don't really like Freud. I think Freud kind of... I think Freud is more of a fraud than a Freud. Okay. I, I think Freud really nailed down how we look for like love and relationships. But I, means- I, I think we have developmental years. We go through periods in our life where we're seeking things, right? Yeah. And um, because- Yeah, when you play doctor and you're a little kid and you play doctor and sometimes the same sex and all yeah, that. Yeah. Like, so, so more or less, like, I do think I've had experiences in my life, like, nothing really traumatic, I can happily say. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people's, like, preferences on who they date are based out of traumatic experiences. And this is visible with just a lot of people have, like... So you've had gay friends, and you've been in scenarios where if you stayed around a little bit longer, you would have woken up with him. Might have. Might have. So do you think it's... Uh... It's consistent or ignomatic or common among your generation to We're just rationalize. Of it. So but you rationalize with it. Like for me, I've been at Key West, uh, Ernest Hemingway days. And since I'm in Key West, I'm already cognizant of a, 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 a considerable amount of people living there. And they come on to me, I immediately shut it down and say, ah, no, wrong guy. But you're not. You actually entertain the conversation. Is that how it goes? I'm I'm just trying to understand. No, it, it, it's like my my proclivities to men are much more conservative than <laughs> yeah, but than a like, lot of you're, guys. You're, you're, but you're, you're, you're but basically... if it's like a guy who I can respect, if it's like I'm just generally very picky when it comes to relationships in general, like with women, with women too. So it's like so guys, it's like something that was like taboo when I was growing up. For your generation, it was extremely taboo. And your parents' generation was something that only happened in the army, and then they never spoke about it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those yeah. situations where so does, it, it doesn't even cross my generation's mind. Though my friends that oh, are of the same age of mine, who are I, I now know to be gay, uh, showed uh, showed some inkling 
uh, that, you know, the whispering when he was in the closet, you know. And eventually they come out and they, they're much better because of it, because they're free of of it. Uh, they just announced it to the chagrin of, you know, mom and dad and, you know. And there's some it, it, there's it, some moment of truth there. It's probably but ultimately early. ultimately they end up being loved by their parents just the same. I mean, parents just will love you either way. They're, only the Muslims, you know, will kill you when you say it. So I always think of uh, speaking of Muslims. Uh, I only uh, I got stuck in my head. Did you convert? Huh? Uh, did you convert? No. Ishala, brother. No, <laughs> I, I need to study more about the faith and why Jesus Christ and Mary are mentioned more in the Torah than Muhammad himself. That tells me that there's a flaw in the plan. So well, what's interesting about Islam is that they actually um, prepared apologetics for different regions. Like it's built in for the Christians. They already said, yeah, Jesus was the prophet, but he did not die on the cross. Same and, as Jews. And, and for the Buddhists, they also said that Buddha was a prophet as well. Yeah, and so did you. Did you believe that Jesus was just a prophet, wasn't the Son of God? Only we believe in the Son of God. But we have the luxury that of all the faiths, only we can say that ours arrived on land, suffered as a man, and died for our sins and bled, just like us. And all other faiths are either waiting for their first coming or don't expect their God to come at all. So we're kind of in a luxurious kind of place. I, I was actually thinking, um, it's kind of I cool. think it's kind of harder for Christians in this sense. Is that you, I gave you something to play yeah, with. Yeah, I know. I was just moving it up toward me. You, um, I'm hearing you perfectly. There's no okay. need to even touch is that the I microphone. I was thinking a big thing that may, like, I feel like Christians struggle with is that you guys don't have any new teachers. Uh not recognized by you, but yeah, we have new teachers. Such as? Like, because I've been thinking. Like, I really can honestly say that. For the last, like, two, th- like, you're Catholic, so you have some, st- you have saints. I have, right? I have, uh, uh, and I have to admit that I could not, unless I looked it up, the, the people that I follow on Instagram that are, are Catholic priests that I admire their articulation and their passion and purpose. But man, I'm an amazed brother. I can. I can count more than 10 people that I know are doing prophetic, wonderful, wonderful things. And that's, and that's uh, giving of their time, money, and, and moments to do wonderful things for society. That's enough for me. But I know what you're getting at. You, yeah. you know, world leaders. Well, well I, I'm also the thinking. Protestants have that more than, than I can honestly no, say. I think Protestants uh, have that less than Catholics. No, there's uh, you know the Jerry Look, Falwells of the world. They're they're very yeah, admired. No, uh, yeah. Who's the gentleman who just passed away? Um, but I guess what I what I was thinking. Uh, oh my God, I can't. Uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Yeah, that was a while. Thank ago. you that for was like saving me. Ago. I was going to drive me nuts if yeah. you not said that. I can't believe you know the the, the Fetterman moment already occurred but here. Yeah, at five I, guess, I guess you're right. I, I would even feel like Martin Luther King was kind of this. No, and uh, for instance, I know that my uh, my daughter admires her uh, pastor in her um, in her born again church, and she's very impressed with him as a father, as a pastor. They have much more room to admire. We are kind of told that our deities, uh, deity, that, uh, deity, yeah. uh, huh, deity, our deity is not to be admired so much. Uh, we were supposed to just respect. Not so much admire. I know that we have priests that I 
I want to hear more from who have come as guests at Saint I would love to at Saint Anne's Church, I, I but they don't love, come back. I would love that. Like that. That would be a really fascinating talk. A uh, whole uh, what a whole show or like a show if we could like get a priest. I, I well, think. I had because you know it's funny. I, I, I know one. I notice you and I we get super along when we talk about like faith. Nah. We get very well along when we I'm talk just, faith, ma- and then we fight when it's politics. It's it's something I've noticed. I don't, I think you're just more understanding of me when you know that I'm a Catholic. Yeah. And, um, but because we have that shared ground, I I'm, I'm just more interested in your generation and how you specifically are are thinking. Yeah. And it's like the author and me knowing I wrote a book for you guys specifically, not my generation, because we're all a bunch of losers who are trying to bury you. Uh, your society. I mean, if that's what happened when you guys had a really, really dysfunctional relationship with um, your parents' generation. With government. With your parents' government. generation. It, it, it's very visible. Like, listen, Sorry. we've had bad situations. No. Right? But we never went through Kent State. Nah, 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 nah. No, no, no. no. I, I think there's something to that. No, I think it there's isn't. something to no, that. No, there isn't. Because it was just I'll like tell a you moment what there that, is. like. I'll tell you, well, you gave it specific, you know, moment in time. I I see it like we, very differently, and I spell it out in my book, The Fist Calls, which you haven't gone to because you wouldn't make that statement. I claim that there's there was a schism in our society that is indicative of the nine manifest destiny that commenced in 1959. Because by 1960, we elected the wrong guy as president, John F. Kennedy. We uh, the advancements of the contraceptive pill came at the same time as the peace movement, free sex, the Beatles, and uh, uh, Christopher Leary, I think was his name. And, and this was kind of yeah. And I, I want to jump and on this. State, I want to jump Penn on this. State, I want to jump on this movement because the stuff you're talking about. And those people are in power right now, like Congressman Nader, Nadler, but, uh, but I, total I think loser the big from difference, New York. I think the big difference that happens here with your generation. That even I might say I'm more conservative than your baby boomers on this front, um, but this is where you'll intellectually disagree with me, is that you guys said we don't want to be part of the Vietnam War for what I assumed were very good reasons. It was well, a, I wasn't born. I was, was born a, during it, but not but lived like this, it. It was a strategic misstep. It was, you know... A moment that the United States just appeared completely erratic. I understand what psychologically it was going on was that Korea was a bloodbath with no real closure. So America was looking for that closure, and they saw. What was the name of the, What was the number parallel that we were stuck at between North and South? We walked away without even ending that war. The ninety fourth parallel. Is that, yeah, do I got that? You number? might have to look that up. But the point that I was getting to is that your generation's um, hangups with authority were taken care of by authority figures such as the Pentagon and the presidents saying, okay, you don't have to be in the government. You don't have to do anything with us. You can go out, you can start your business, you will get, will get poor kids to be in the military. You know, we don't need you. You can go to your rugs, your drugs, sex, rock and roll away from internal affairs. You don't have to be near the matters of the state. You're free to find yourself. That's what the baby boomers accomplished, right? And this got expressed either through, like, hippie ways, through crystal healing or whatever straw man, the joke that I'm making here, and then in conservative ways, which is that they latched onto the small government rhetoric. Um, And I think what I have seen, or at least what people, I hope people in my political persuasion have seen, is that we want to bring a sense of community and a sense of, like, 
we as a country doing things together again. We're we're concerned about what we're doing over there. I don't know. What we're, we're concerned How about uh, what we're doing over at in U- China or in other Ukraine. places. Ukraine. You know, we're, we're, we're we discuss these things and we plan out these things, and it, it's it's part of our central identity as an American. That can't happen until the Democrats are out of power. Period. They have sent us. They sent us back socially, economically, financially, in such a grave manner. And that's my point. It's the point of this show. It's the point that I'll harp on forever. It's the reason why I wrote the book. It's the reason why I built this place. It's an albatross of power, total dominance over the real facts. 11 filibuster-proof Senate since 1911. That gets a lot of things done. I'm talking about hot streaks of 18 and 28 years where they control both houses of Congress. You saw it in your graph that I sent you, and then you found this, to found the graphs, the different color coordinated graph that you seem to look at all the time on your on your yeah. pad. But it is undelible power. It's incredible power. The Democrats have got everything they wanted, and what do we get? Debt and a minority party that can't come up with a reason to even be a majority party because we've got political. Stockholm syndrome, the Republicans do. But the truth is that Democrats are politically bipolar. I think Everything. it's because you get mad at the rhinos. I do. They, they side, it, with, it, they side that, with you all because they want to stay in power. And I, I, I think it's, they are your classic example. They're so used to being in the minority, they don't want the majority. Well, it, it's you guys get mad at the rhinos, but like I think it's that when you talk to your average everyday American, politics overwhelms them immediately. Okay, like people who aren't politically astute. They're overwhelmed, you know, because, like, politics is really a centerfold of several things. It's philosophy, it's history, and it's the economy. And how about tactics, political tactic? Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, I like Like, that. lie yeah, about yeah. everything. So, I would say. Because the average but, person who knows but zero that's what I'm saying, is that will believe it. Your tactics aren't great. Is like, that, right now, for but, instance. So, I, I was saying that, like, we look at the average American, you know, they go, like, well, the, these extremes on both sides. You know, I just want They're to get by. I don't want to get caught in. There isn't extremes on both sides. One that's side. How, that's the centrist. That's how they talk. Oh. So when the subject of politics comes up to these guys, and then the rhinos are able to sell conservative values such as, you know, the market being an indicator of who should be on the hierarchy or call the shots, um, that we should support people who, you know, do combat lined jobs. That like you know, what's a combat line job? Police military? or the military, okay, or law like, enforcement, okay, law, law enforcement. Or when they go on, they start talking about like you know how enterprise and money is good, and we should keep taxes down. Like the rhinos make conservatism approachable to most people. Like everybody in their head is probably like socially liberal. They probably don't have like any hangups about like you know non-straight or non-white people, they probably don't have that hang-up. We've got but, plenty of cool gay people in the Republican Party, yeah. just not enough of. Uh, um, of Roy them. Cohen was pretty cool. Tell us about Roy Cohen. Uh, <laughs> he was one what? of the, I think, a Nixon guy. Um, and he was known for... He was actually not that cool because he was like sleeping with like pretty young guys. Oh, my God. Inside the administration? During, during his time. Um, and but it was he wasn't kind, elected. It was kind of a guarded secret. No, I don't think he was elected. Um, and... Um, that's interesting that you Stone, know about Stone, him. Stone was like, um, 
Roger he, Stone he, knew. Roger Stone was like, he's not gay. He was just about power. It was uh, a power thing. Uh, um, so <laughs> Roger yeah. was so got an answer to that one. No, so um, of course there, there has always been gay guys in positions of conservatism. It, it, it's very appealing to the gay conservative who was upset with his own existence. Yeah. Um, to quote Dennis Prager, bisexuality is the norm. Oh. <laughs> it's taking Don't Ask, Don't Tell to another, le- to another level. Uh, but basically, but like, I think most people don't have a problem with this stuff. They're pretty open-minded. They just don't want to feel like these things should get political. They don't want to have to interrogate how they might feel or react to no, these sort of and, stuff. And, and, and they don't ruling want- the, the bedroom. And they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get really militarized about certain aspects. So I, I, think, I think when it has to do with sexual uh, conduct, most Americans are, will agree with you. What the right will not tolerate is the killing of babies. Uh, that's just unbelievable. I get what the right wants. The right wants a, like a script for everybody, right? The right says basically like, listen. You can be- Are you dodging that fact, or are you dancing around? No, no. They I, don't I, want you to kill babies. Now. I, I, no, I'm talking about the full picture. I'm talking about the full picture. It's that they want a full, open-ended point of it. Like, I'm trying to expand everything you're saying beyond that. Um, like, the right wants a very clear script of what you're supposed to do in life. Um, they want to say, like, hey, listen. And this is why Republican sex scandals usually happen behind closed doors before going back to their family is because it's like they don't see the contradiction. It's, you know, fine, I'm going to have, you know, sex with men, but then I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go provide for my family. I'm going to be with my wife. I'm going to do these things because that's what's required of me. So it's the objection, as you said, to the lifestyle is not really about the, not about the acts, but the threatening of the expected family unit. You know, that's that's kind of the idea. Well, how many women are going to tolerate their husbands having an affair with another man? But yeah, well, they, they that, don't want they don't not, want that discussed. Well, that's they don't want that, that discussed, but they but do. But that it. applies to Democrats they, too. They don't want it discussed, but they do it. it it's how do I put it? Hey, when you're the, the Democrats, you at said least it. Now, you said it yourself. When you when you're gay, you act upon it. When you're not gay, but you have these inklings, you don't act upon it. You just started the show that way. Why don't does it? Why can't you see it, the obvious? It applies to both parties because it's oh, the, it's a human oh. reality. It's just there's more. But the, but the big thing is I'm saying that the difference is there's that more is that backlash. The, is that the if Democrats, you get caught, if the Democrats are trying to legalize these uh, attitudes and these sentiments. They're legalized already. They've been legalized for you know decades. I mean, what about the trans stuff? That stuff that's really no. You guys take it to another level now. You got the it, it, you got it, the gay just, thing out of the it, way. It's just being allowed. Notice. It's Notice. just being allowed to happen. It's no, just being allowed to happen. No, it is. That's the pushback. It's being institutionalized by our textbooks, our institutions, and one particular party. Guess what? You guys got the legal marriage for gay people to be legally married. You made them all happy. A lot of women love that idea that gays are now free to marry and, and institutionalize and get the tax breaks because that's basically it. You get a tax break now. Well, they're, they're going to be doing gay adoption, which is good. No, they're number they're, one. They're going to be doing gay adoption, they're which is what's one. required. They're, they're number one in adoptions right now as we speak. And you can look that up. Uh, that, gay, that's gay, good. Gay that's good. That, that was part of the argument that I, some of us were making when I we have wanted a tough gay marriage legalized. I have a tough time telling you otherwise. Because a child in a, in a foster home 
can't be good. Therefore, someone's going to take the child and give them some sense of belonging and being and hopefully loved. I It's hard for me to argue that gays should not adopt because they're the number one candidates for adoption. Obviously, they're not going to have kids among themselves or they can't. So, you know, the thruple, the thruple, uh, what's it called? The thruple is eventually going to be galvanized too, which it'll be a woman, a woman who can bear children with two older women that love each other. And they have a third one who is guaranteed her lifestyle paid for if she bears children for them. And that's a thruple. And there's other scenarios like that. So it is what it is, you know. When my when my friend who worked in in the industry um, to relieve uh, foster care of foster children because of the abuse and neglect and all the stuff that went out, he told me flat out that the number one candidates for adoption are gay guys. Yeah, I mean, what else? Like the also, um, what a lot of them do is that they actually go to one of their female friends and they ask them to carry their baby. Is another thing they do. Um, surrogates. Yeah, they have surrogates too. But surrogates are winning in court because after seeing the child on a sonogram, they want to keep them. And what is it, contract law, or is it my child, my body, my child? See that those those are the conflicts that we know are going to happen. So we're reluctant to play along. We know that politically, it's political suicide to be that rhino, to be that moderate. We saw what moderates do. They they I mean they acquiesce the, the left. The, cons- the conservatives' concern, I think, should be primarily just protecting private industry. Well, that, that's a sidestep. I, I, uh, I, I don't think it's a sidestep. I think no, it's elaborate, feasibly. Elaborate. I, I, I think it's like feasibly, like, you know, this is me giving advice to my political opponents to so go crazy. Uh, if, you like, mean indiv- if you mean individual liberty, yes. Like, like At the end of the day, it's all private about ownership, that. like the libertarian stuff. Was the direction that like a lot of people were able to bounce back into right leaning politics with, because they did a lot of things. Like I'll tell you, like like California's leaving like, the Texas, like, dr- like um, New Yorkers leaving drugs, the Florida, legal- Illinois leaving the Florida, legalizing drugs, um, gun ownership, um, a lot of these stuff. Um, you know, more freedom, more of these sorts of I'm things. I'm pretty liberal Le- when it comes to that legalizing. Like, like you know, like I, I made a joke. To, I made a joke to someone drugs. today that like these two conservatives and liberals were fighting online, and one was like freaking out about like you know drag queen story hour, and the other one was the liberal was freaking out about like a kid knowing how to shoot a gun. And my worldview is that I don't have a hang of about any of those two. I, I think those two things are good. I think the audience would be very surprised by that statement. Well, I mean, because we spend a lot of time online fighting with people. We don't really discuss or learn about things. Like, uh, I, I notice when I get on the internet mm-hmm. now that, like, I find myself in a, you know, I'm much more level-headed than what I used to be. But I, I see now that very much I realize, like, I can catch myself, like... When am I doom scrolling? Like when am I looking up stuff Please, that's going to do to psychic us doom scrolling? Doom scrolling that is takes when you, trolling to another level. Do, no, no, no. Doom scrolling is when you go through social media or news stories, and it feels like everything's bad, everything's hopeless, everything's spiraling out of control, right? Um, and I can see this. It, this happens a lot, especially when we're stuck in our own echo chambers or with people who think like us or are more like us. It's, it's much more easier for us to get to points where we do not see or understand at least like how people who disagree with us, where they're coming from, right? Where it's like, take for example, when a lot of people were talking in the Cold War era, 
when these troops would come home and they would be like, I didn't like what I did, right? Like, guys in Korea were like, you know, what I did was like, I, they weren't happy with their actions. More Vietnam. Yeah, that exploded in Vietnam. But in, in Korea, this began, they were like, oh, they were brainwashed by North Korea. Was the line that or was... Or brainwashed by our own uh, armies. Yeah. Um, our own generals. But, like, you know, this is kind of where this attitude was coming from. That, like, these people are super-duper brainwashed, right? Like, how do I put it? Like, I believe in criticizing governments, and but I very much believe that it's super important to recognize why they're acting the way they act. Like, I look at China, or I look at Japan, I, I look at a relationship there, and I see one country that is looking from my own attitude as a white American... I look at the way Japan talks about history, and I see that they're terrified of retrib- retribution. They are terrified. Because they have been. Because with the actions they've done to other countries. How about the actions done to them? Hello, we dropped a bomb on them. How about what China did to them? Enslaved them. No, China enslaved them? I thought they enslaved yeah. the Chinese. Well, they wanted, uh, uh, They came back at the Chinese. I said, uh-uh, no more of that. And they fought back, and they won. Yes, you're right. Yeah. But um, the but they uh, there's a reason why Japan went after China. Uh, yeah, because it's more land. It's more <laughs> land for them to grab. Uh, uh, if, are we talking about Imperial Japan? I'm I'm specifically talking about um, the post World War One government of Japan. That's Imperial Japan. Yeah, because uh, Imperial Japan um, I find is a really funny case because um, Japanese politics works very differently than every other country on the planet in one sense. That as soon as they make up their mind about something, everybody agrees. Like, across the board. Well, they don't have any immigrants in their country to even... They do have immigrants. They have Indians who do cheap labor. And how come they allow them to live there but not become Japanese citizens? Uh, Because they don't like that. (laughs) 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 There's no other way. Um, Call out to all my left-wing Japanese homies. You guys must be pushing up that boulder uphill. Much harder than everybody else. Are you saying you have era. Japanese homies? No, but I like, just want to say like, I always really sympathize with that cause because it's... Um, but very much like, you know, Japan, once they make up their mind something politically, the whole country gets on board. Remember Fukuyama when that um, earthquake shattered that nuclear power plant? Back around 2010? I don't remember, but I want you to inform the audience. Okay, so around 2010, there was a nuclear power plant built Oh, on, from the storm. Yeah, built on a fault line. And yeah. that really polluted stuff. And then they just pretty much... And it all came to the United States, and we ate the lobsters that came and from we the got, Pacific Ocean. We got super strong. And something happened that never is going to be talked about, but that uh, that nuclear tide apparently took two weeks to get to our shores on the Pacific side. And nothing was ever talked about it. But I know for sure I ate Pacific seafood in that time. And I always wondered, what was the ill effect of that? I mean... Could it be that COVID came from? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, no, I know. I'm just kidding. I, I know, I know. But like, we saw that like um, another an example recently was um, when Shina Abe was assassinated. That was but, very sad by a little freakazoid with a handmade gun. And they asked him, "Why did you do it? Was this for political reasons?" The guy said, "No." He said that um, it was religious. That Shina Abe had connections to the Moonies, Ooh. which is a Korean cult. And wow. Japan did not like that, so he did not get a state funeral. So he exposed that? Yes. So that's all he wanted? Yeah, pretty much he got what he wanted. 
Wow. Um, that's a, that's only heard here on Blink Radio ninety four point five. So like, that was a good, that's an excellent trivia. Yeah, the, uh, audi- the audience should appreciate that. Thank you. And you discovered that just regular news wires or in the backroom chats? Um, in on a podcast. On a podcast, and that is uh, shout out to Chapo. Uh, Chapo's podcast. Chapo Trap House is the biggest, uh, one of the biggest left wing podcasts out there. Wow, say that again. Chapo Trap House. Here I am marketing uh, a left-wing yeah. uh, podcast. They, they, they had discussed it, um, that this was the guy's background, and it's why he went through with it. But very much like, you know, Japan seems, once they make up their mind, they go in line with what the consensus is. So the country's able to get change really fast done, but everybody's got to be on board. Oh. Is how they kind of act politically. So that's that's one country... That's probably residue from uh, Imperial Japan. Well, it's... Follow the emperor, follow the emperor, no matter what. The, the kind of... You know, actually, with Imperial Japan, it wasn't even the emperor. It was like a bunch of like warrior fanatics in the army who took over the country. But in our, and then they got in, the emperor but, to go along with them. Yeah. Oh, so they forced the emperor's hand. Yeah, they kind of... I took, didn't know that. Yeah, they kind of like... Yeah, Japan was a democracy for a bit. Before, before the emperor. Not before the emperor. The emperor's always been there. Sure. The, the emperor's pretty much been there since Tokugawa Aizeo. Ooh, boy, you're on fire today. <laughs> Please tell us. Tokugawa Aizeo was um, pretty much the guy who won the... There was a big war, um, I want to say, back around the seventeen mid-1700s, a little bit for the United States. Uh, I'll double-check the numbers in a bit. But basically, the Warring States period is pretty much the most fun period of Japanese history because it was like a political crisis that occurred and there was no central power anymore. And you had all of these figures. Like, just imagine if the, like... Yeah, leaders of tribes. Yeah, just yeah, just imagine if, like, the United States, suddenly the president dies and Congress dissolves. You suddenly have, like, king of Texas. You know, you got, like... That's little, called the the re, the redoubt movement. Yeah, you you would have like the king of Texas. You would have like a group of Californians. Well, you remember, would have like uh, you say king of Texas, but there was a president of Texas. Yeah. Texas was its own country. They still want to be. You can kind of tell with the way they talk. They're the only. You know, they're the only state that could do it. Probably they could leave without war. It was a condition that Lincoln gave them to join the uh, the Union for the Civil War because they didn't. They would be the union would have been spread too thin had they had to fight the Mexicans too yeah. oh at the same God, yeah. time. So oh, they said, "All right, uh, notice our borders, the Rio Grande." Uh, I think Sam Houston erred in uh, in allowing the Mexicans to have that side of the Rio Grande because that's where the the oil was. As much oil as there was in Texas, a lot, there's a lot of oil on the Mexican side too. But very much, um, so it kind of occurred from this point of history, and it's super fun to study about. Yeah, I want it, you to it, elaborate. It, I kind of like this. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of like really flamboyant and colorful characters in this war, because it's like you had all these different peoples of all these like aristocratic. You're talking 17th century. Yeah, like all of these like aristocratic dynasty guys at all different parts of the country. Blue bloods who pretty much just like rounded up their family members and everyone who they were able to hire. To get a sword on them, and um, they went to town on each other. So you have like a lot of characters like um, Takeda, who you can see a movie kind of that's with him called um, Gagemusha. That was um, who's that guy who does really famous samurai movies? 
Um, I, know, I know who you're talking about, but... Yeah, no, I'm going to keep looking it up. And then you I have, have like, John Fetterman. So. You have, like, all of these figures. You have, like, Buddhist monks who are, like, warriors trying to defend, like, their... Is, is that... Can I safe to say that that's when Tibet uh, oh, no. failed to join the rest of Japan? Tibet is in China. I understand, but it, they... When they... Uh, in other words, when they chose to separate themselves from China, should I... Can I correctly say that Japan inspired them to be separate? I have no idea. Or do you think uh, Tibetans always felt they were Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa? No, um, I don't think that's. I I would have to get back to you. They were were always Chinese. I I think because here's the thing you have to keep about like Tibet is Tibet was pretty much a a god king role. Mm -hmm. Like um, they to to this day, not anymore because China has ended it. So uh, do they? Did they impose their will there? So abroad, they pretty much have there's already, no connection. Tibet has no influences from they probably, Japan. They've, they've, no, not really, because it's too far to the, too far away. Never too far this. So way. the cultures don't even intermix. No, it, it, they it, share it's not, nothing. It's not at all. Like no. Okay, so I was totally wrong on that. No, it's fine because I see where you're coming from. Because you think it like a Catholic. Ah! You think like a Catholic. Is that you see bust, Tibet? I'm busted. You see Tibet and you see the Dalai Lama and you're like, that's a pope. And then you hear about, like, Buddhists in Japan, and they're like, do they answer to him? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was hoping... It's a good assumption. Was, it's a good I assumption. Was, I was hoping there was some correlation in faith, and therefore they both sought to keep themselves separate. But the, one of the most interesting guys there was um, Oda Nobunaga. And Oda Nobunaga is kind of considered, like, a very nefarious character in Japanese history. You know, in the video games, they depict him as, like, making a deal with the devil, whatnot. But um, what makes him really interesting is that he was very, like, a flamboyant guy. He's always depicted holding a fan. Um, he was really interested in the West. Hmm. And um, and, he there, fought, and he fought for an emperor? A no, he, he was fighting for his own rule. Oh. He was, he was a warlord in his own right. And his big move was that he saw that there was trading ports with the Portuguese around this time. So he was reading all this stuff about the West. So he was buying guns en masse. And he was bringing guns pretty much to oh, the so world. Oh, so now you're moving centuries north. No, this isn't the same conflict. But this, the camp, it could be 1700s, Marco Polo and all that time, or no? No, but like... Because the the Mongol get, Empire might have come a little bit before this, because there, there was an attempt... No, no, talking, no, this was 500 oh, years. That was 500 years ago. Because you're talking about guns, that means gunpowder. Yeah. That, and that, that I know that the... I know that gunpowder was invented um, around that same time as firearms were being invented for the obvious the reason. The modern firearm, as we consider it, understand it was probably born during the English's invasion of China. Uh-huh. Because at this point they had seen the fireworks and they're like, what if we could use this for military reasons? Yeah, for propulsion. So um, he was buying guns from the Portuguese. Oh, so... Oda was a little bit craftier. He wasn't so stuck with tradition as a lot of the other samurais were. He kind of was... Um, he yeah, kind he of, just got a He knifed his way up to the top of his clan, and then, like, he pretty much won the war, and then he got backstabbed last moment. By a defeating army. By one of one of his own subordinates. They, they executed him. Like, they, they, they pretty much cornered him in a building, they burned it, and one of his best men were there to help him with the uh, Harakiri. And then Tokugawa, his ally, took over. Wow. And, and that person uh, remained in power or no? That family line. 
remained in power for quite a while. Wow. So the family line, that means grandsons, son, uh, cousins, everybody. The dynasty gets really complicated in Japan. They're, they're very hot potato with who rules, but it's very consistent that there's got to be an So emperor. what keeps today's Japan's emperor just ceremonial? Why wouldn't he take... It's like the British. So ceremonial is just yeah. to make money. Sell hats, it's pretty much, shirts, yeah. <laughs> celebrate birthdays. <laughs> and they really don't... And they really don't... Um, there hasn't been an emperor that even hints about returning to power, correct? No, they're, they're, they're not very interested in it. It's pretty just much... Want money. The, the only people who are really kind of like imperial in nature, the way you're kind of hinting at, are descendants of the military. Like Shina Abe um, is a descendant of people who worked in Unit 731. Ooh, tell us what... 731. Unit 731 was the Japanese Holocaust, pretty much, where they were experimenting on the Chinese and the Koreans that they had taken hostage. Ah, and but in brown to Japan or in conquered territory? Uh, let me get let me get to you on that because I know be, about, that, but I don't know where well, it is. How many how many thousands of people? Yeah, quite a good deal. Um, or was it millions like the Holocaust? The Holocaust was more of an extermination thing. The um, people usually when they talk about the Holocaust, they talk about the gas chambers. Um, they pretty much just made people dig their graves and shoot them after working them. In other words, they they work for they work like slaves for months and then they kill them. Yeah, um, you have to keep in mind the because this is kind of reflective of their work ethic. Is that um, you the samurai? Them, they the, fa- die. the fascists were like, you know, they were soldiers, right? And they viewed working as disgraceful. Oh, so to them, the punishment was labor. Like you're going to do labor because that's disgraceful. Because you suck as a warrior. You suck as a warrior, precisely. Um, it was in, um, God, wow, how do I even pronounce this? Luckily, it says now China. Um, I mean, the audience is uh, uh, really, uh, The puppet uh, state of Manchukuo. Okay, it was a puppet state in northeastern China that's no longer there today. Northeastern China is no longer there today? What's it replaced no, by? No, north, in, northeastern China was, at this point, was a Japanese puppet state called Manchukuo. Wow, and this is and what, this is what where year? Unit Seven Three Seven happened. Well, let the audience know what year is. Nineteen thirty-six to nineteen forty-five. Oh my God! So modern history. Yeah. Um, so how many people died? Is at least two th- or three hundred thousand. Yeah, that's a hol- that's a, hol- a mini Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, do you, it was Chinese butchering Japanese, or the other way around? It was Japanese butchering the Chinese. Okay, like so the, so far the crimes, we, the crimes in Japan, so the crimes Japan committed against China, um, outnumber t- outnumber China's atrocities towards Japan. I'd have to get back to you on that because Japan descended from people migrating from China, kind of like how. That's Amer- the connection I want you to make because, yeah, yeah, because I because, can't make it on yeah, my yeah, own. Because yeah. America, America was born of like English people moving to this landmass. China has that relationship with um, Japan. Japan. Is that the Chinese came over here, and then they kind of settled in, and they're kind of a mixture of many different people. Just like uh, Kansai Czech formed Taiwan when yeah. he failed against Mao Zedong. Yeah. So that's historical. So those wars, it's funny because we don't even include them. In we think uh, the greatest war is the World War Two war, you know, and. Man, those those Asians fought tooth and nail way before we even fired at one shot. I mean, 
I mean, the, the, the Asia Pacific has been a warring factions of cultures way before the, the United States was even a country. I mean, just incredible. I mean, the indigenous tribes are fighting with each other all the time. So the nine tribes of China. And Europe, Europe was butchering itself too. Yeah, it's true. Uh, when you, <laughs> everybody was fighting everybody. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah because you can't, I, I, I wouldn't single out one group of people. So, but the but it seems to me, and I don't know if I'm correct or not, but it seems to me that the Asian wars were much more massive in terms of tribes, thousands upon thousands. There's just a lot of people there. Yes. There's a lot of people yeah, there. Precisely. Yeah. So when I think of feudalism, I think of, you know, small warlords with their castles and their certain regions, the kind of stuff you see in Mel Gibson's movies and Braveheart and stuff like that. But they were smaller in nature. When I think of Asian wars, I think of massive horses, massive swords, uh, bows and arrows, fire and brimstone. Imagine, I don't know exactly how. I'd like to make a connection of that history of war in the early days and how it turns into the exportation and transport of gunpowder through the Marco Polo voyages. That's something that I should spend some time. I need some books. You know it's really interesting? It's I'm kind really of, interested in You know who books. really brought the clash of the East and West to the forefront? Was probably Genghis Khan. Big boy. A big boy. The biggest boy. The biggest History's boy. biggest boy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> History's biggest boy. Because what's really interesting about him is that, like, um, from Polish people to Russians to, like, you know, people even, They like, all have Mongol in them. Yeah. Is that, like, e- e- the Finns, too, is another group. So, like, they really, really stretched out there. And what was really interesting about, more or less, um, what's so fascinating about Genghis Khan... Um, back when he was um, Temujin, before he really took off, is that he was from a poor family, right? Like the supreme rags to riches story here. Supreme. <laughs> uh, um, so when he starts taking a, um, a, lo- a lot of land as a warlord from his tribe, he is kind of the rebel. So the big thing he does, and if, like, if you allow me to play crazy stretching the line thin here, he was kind of like the first liberal because what he did is that he stopped making aristocratic bloodlines, primarily who would be part of his war council. And what this was called was the horde. So he would choose the best warriors and the people he could trust the most. Yeah, his it, round table was all blood, uh, earned by blood yeah. and, and victory. So like the, what's funny is that like to us in the West, we hear horde. It's the association of like mountains of bloodthirsty warriors coming. But what the horde was to, you know, the Mongols was their hand-chosen um, best and the brightest at their side. So Honor. It was, was, was like, yeah. Um, Real chivalry. If you want to call that that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without the manners. Yeah, no, but what was most interesting about him, too, is that, he, you know, I, I believe this as a record of history because he was so selective with the sort of thing about who he'd be around that he never trusted any traitors. There are all these stories about people who would, like, be from like not traitors, traders, commerce. No kind. traitors. Oh, traitors. Even if they were to his benefit, like um, there was someone who fought against his blood. He was like fighting a war against his blood brother to take over the tribe, and there were a couple of guys who came forward and like, listen, we know we're not going to win. These are his parts, and he's like, yeah, thank you. Now kill them for being traitors because he knew that he couldn't trust them. Yeah, is how he felt. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. 
if they sell out my bloodline, they're going to sell me out too. So it, it, it's what's kind of interesting um, is that he kind of made the first handpickness of like a huge. He created the first cabinet. The first cabinet, yeah. That, that that's kind of I feel like his contribution to it's better said round table. No, I, I like is, cabinet though. Cabinet cabinet makes him sound more you know. No, but it's, <laughs> it was never executive. It's more round table, yeah. chivalry, you know, more knights of the of the round table kind of so, thing. That was really pretty kind of interesting about the Mongols. And the other thing is that they actually had freedom of religion around the 1200s. Wow. Yeah. So the Mon- and what religions were they? I mean, because they um. Genghis Khan believed that the chief god had chosen him to rule the world. The, that it was specifically like his ordained to, for him. Yeah, like he had to achieve immortality, so he had to conquer the world. Was a big belief of his. <laughs> Man, he pulled it off almost. <laughs> um, so for him, he didn't see like Christianity, Islam, you know, and the tribal gods that his people had. Or Confucianism when he got into China. He didn't see them as threats to him. He saw them as fulfillment of him. Because oh, he was so well said, great. Well said. That he saw like, oh yeah, like, you know, of course, the chief god chose me. It could be Mohammed talking about... Do you believe be that a little tiny bit of benevolence allowed that freedom or no? I think it was two things. I think it was just like the freedom of religion is just good policy because it makes people fight less. But that would, that also implies his own army. I mean, think about it. Um, imagine like we're here hanging out, and a guy, a couple of guys come in, they beat our army, right? And they're all like, "Yeah, don't worry, you can keep your churches, you can keep your customs." Oh, we're you, just fall, call- you fall into the fold. You, you, you we're just calling the shots now, right? And the fact that they're not like taking something of our cultural identity from us is just such a reason that we're not going to feel like so oppressed or threatened by it. Well, it explains why the United States, when it invades, it always gives back conquered territory. Yeah, because it's even it, if they're going, even if they leave with their tail between their legs. Because <laughs> it, it, it's it's like the United States and Genghis Khan knew where to choose the battles, which were in the military. You know, it's about management of resources, and you guys can do whatever the hell you want with your culture. <laughs> yeah, none of our business. Yeah, it's. I think uh, unfortunately, uh, it's almost impossible these days. Uh, because it would require tyranny to impose democracy on on uh, uh, on the people of Iraq and Afghanistan, for example, those people don't want democracy. Well, it, it would also make them resent these values more. Like take in, like take that into consideration. Like um, my best friend's um, wife, she was talking about her concern for the little girls in um, Afghanistan. Yeah, who used to, who were imagine they went like, to medical school. And she's like, for why twenty years they were able to go to school? And she was like, you know, why didn't we properly cement this as like a proper part? And I'm like, listen, there is a lot of things the United States did wrong there, but like, I think the takeover of the Taliban resurgence would have been even worse if we had said no more Islam here. You guys are not allowed to be religious fanatics anymore. We're taking this away from you. Well, also sending their top their top dogs back to there to rule, yeah. as AKA Barack Hussein Obama. It's it's amazing to me how we keep on making the same mistakes over and over again, and we're to fault. We're to fault. You know, the voter, the American voter, has really erred in judgment in several elections that really are poignant political moments in our time. 
And uh, well, Americans were told to keep their nose out of war. Like there, we were told. I remember those who were against Iraq and Afghanistan. We were told, "Don't you support the troops? Why is it so hard for you to say, don't you support the troops?" <laughs> like Americans weren't told anything about what was pretty much militarily going on. Like, um, God, um, do you think most Americans even know about the Battle of Fallujah? Of course they don't. This yeah, is if you listen to Fox News, you do. After the fact. After the fact. No, oh, O'Reilly I... himself, I remember, O'Reilly said it's not in our interest to show you what's happening. We don't want to demoralize you. He pretty much said that verbatim. That I, w- had... I, I would say, um, I'm not going to debate that only because I don't recall live newscast of Fallujah because you're right. They didn't tell. They didn't show you much video. They just talked about it. They didn't show you slaughter, how he went in there and just butchered the whole place up. And we lost a considerable amount of men. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the very military will censor the, the, the war correspondents that are there. It just allow them to stand there and, you know. With their goofy helmets. Yeah, right on, yeah. And, and report on the day. But they don't actually let you see, you know, the butchery that goes on. War is disgusting, man. It's a harsh, harsh, harsh reality. Oh, well, yeah. It explains why the, the military, if you get to know them and meet them, they don't talk about stuff. They just look at you like, yeah, it was tough. Or, oh, yeah, that was those were long nights. But they don't tell you anything else. They they keep it among themselves. Uh, maybe they have a couple beers and say it, but no one could be in the crowd that's not one of them because they'll just clamp up. There's a guy who just well, died in, a, in the Ukraine, a Navy SEAL, and Dan Crenshaw, the, the congressman from Texas, he, on his podcast, made it very clear that the news about about this gentleman, it was not treasonous, and he wanted to make sure the press didn't lie about him. Yeah, he was involved in a, in a domestic violence uh, episode, and he had to flee to the Orient, where there he leapfrogged to the Ukraine, but he was an ex-Navy SEAL, and remember, there's no such thing as ex-Navy SEAL, it's better said, ex-active Navy SEAL, and he died leading Ukrainian troops in a very incredible battle, guess what? Dan said it today. I saw it today. Fifteen hundred Russian men were killed in this in this uh, siege, and this guy led a tiny group of Navy Ukrainian SEALs. And uh, I was really—that's how I started my morning. It just popped up, and I started watching, it and I was like, "Whoa!" And I had someone call in, who was his guest for the show. Who knew the man, who knew him uh, personally, and he wanted to clear the air because the press had maligned him because of his domestic violence situation, where he had an altercation with his wife, and it wasn't going to go well, and he was going to be, he was going to be put in prison. Uh, they didn't say that, but they implied that, and that's why he fled Texas, went to the, he went to Asia, taught English there to children, and someone told him. They're killing kids in Ukraine. He ended up in battle there, and he died. So it's once it's with you, it's uh, since the theme today has been warrior gods, and it, we just we do it this way. This is what we do on the Young and Old Show here on WSQFRadio.com. If you're live streaming us into your car with your Bluetooth, or you can hear us east of US-1 all the way down to Palmetto Bay, Blink Radio Key Biscayne is here as the echo of Key Biscayne.
94.5 FM. So continue. Um, do you want to continue on Asia or do you want to go into the I, Mongol thing? I mean, like, what gets me interested about war is that it kind of feels like it fuels a good portion of human history that... Yeah, the the minds and the brains and the industrial well, te- military and, and complex. For, and, and, in, and technology in that level, My too. God, you want those people fighting for the enemy? No, man, keep them employed. Keep them making them make things. But I, I guess it's like my sentiment was that like... 33... If you, if Bradley- you want to know one thing that I feel resentful for that fuels me being left was for the fact that like... I've come from a military family with my grandfather, um, and I felt like Iraq stole my thunder on that level. Like, I feel like Iraq didn't sit well with me, and then as a result, my time that I, like, could have found this sort of weird glory that probably never existed to begin with was kind of taken from me. Like, it was like, you know, perhaps it was never there, but what I kind of feel like what I saw in war, in the Iraq war, in the Afghanistan war, in the various military operations in Africa and the Middle East during my time, was really just like, there's kind of a dreariness to war. That's People die and there's almost not like a point that you see immediately. Like, war is very kind of... Cold and it's calculated. Cold. It's cold and calculated. They don't even count the bodies at this point. And if it's like, if you're the one pulling the trigger, you're probably not the one who's getting anything out of this. Nothing. Yeah. Every military person who's killed someone won't tell you, and they hate to even count what who they thought they, they, they killed from the other side. And the only time I ever was struck by this point you just made was... In the most bizarre way, a heavyset guy, much younger than me, right around the time of, I know that Bush was president at the time. I'm literally, if people here on the key can imagine me getting out of the car, going into Sir Pizza. And I, before I get to the door at Sir Pizza, this young person comes out of Sir Pizza, kind of distraught. And he's talking to himself, and I was... Basically gestured to him, hey, bro, everything's going to be okay, man. You know, is something wrong with your pizza or something? And he goes, no, man, no. What, uh, uh, I just had this little boy's image in front of me, and I killed him. He was running towards me. And I'm going, what? Where did that come from? I would just walk away after that point. I said, uh, no, he sat in and, and elaborated a little further that he was on a, on a Humvee, uh, kind of like a Fallujah kind of thing. And they, they had orders that if children came to hug them, you know. Oh, yeah. There, there were, they, were, I, they were packed with bombs. That was the big problem so that they a would lot shoot of them, they American would shoot troops before, faced. Yeah. Is that a lot of times they wanted to really befriend yeah. the populace, right? However, like, you know, they knew the moment someone was walking toward them, they probably had bombs on them. Right. And that's what this person said to me. And then he just walked away. And uh, I, rem- uh, I remember saying to myself, is it really true he has a tremendous amount of hair? You know, it's, he couldn't have just come back from the war because he would still be crew-cutted and all that. And uh, he actually resembled a, a somewhat uh, you 
he kind of looked like you, only he was uh, obese. And um, I always wondered about that guy. Just He walked away from me. And he was at, right at that age, you know, that age where you're, the, PT, the PTSD has hit you. He said he was from Key Biscayne, though. That I do remember. And I always was struck by that person because that's it. I entered. I ordered. I had my pizza. I had my salad. And never, never came up again except in these moments, you know, where you're just wondering about things. So anyway, I'm going to wonder about something here that I'm not prepared to tell you what it is because I have no idea. It's called The Unspeakable Things That Happen at the Nanking Event. What's the Nanking Event? Lay it on me. I have no idea, but we're going to play it now. And hold your horses, folks. I hope there's no profanity here on Blinker Radio 94.5, but it's only 15 minutes, and I have no idea what I'm about to transmit over the air, but has something to do with, I believe, Japan. Let's see. What's up? 2004, 39-year-old best-selling historian Iris Chang committed suicide. She left three separate suicide notes, each different from the other, but none spelling out exactly why she was taking her own life. One of the notes included broad swipes at the CIA and other unnamed organizations that she claimed were persecuting her for some reason. People who knew her believed those ideas to have been side effects of the powerful medicines she was taking after a severe bout of depression combined with bipolar disorder. Those same people also think that her suicide was brought on by the stress of her busy life and probably most of all by the subjects of her books, specifically one book, The Rape of Nan King, which was published in 1997. Okay, I'm going to know, first book, Thread of really the Silkworm, dark. 1996, was about a Chinese scientist. So war crimes of the Nan King were so bad that German officers were telling them to cut it out. Oh, well, right now I can see on the screen <laughs> that you might have paused it at the perfect time because there are a bunch of white guys looking at me on the YouTube and it look like, uh, you know, the mad scientist behind the nuclear bomb kind of thing or the mad scientist behind chemical bombing or something or, but uh, when you looked up uh, Nanking, it was about she wrote a book about it. Three books, actually. Oh, are you talking about... Um, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, she was an American puzzler, journalist. you journalist? Um, I don't know, but she committed yeah. suicide. They're going to tell yeah. you the story, and you think I shouldn't, shouldn't go f- further on this. Yeah, it was Iris Chang, right? Iris Chang, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she was pretty much the journalist, um, a Chinese-American, to really kind of bring this forward to the attention of Americans. Um yeah, she has a gripe with the CIA. She uh, as and anyone she, should. I guess uh, <laughs> I don't. Um, you know, I I, I don't. There's uh, they are they're always an interest of mine in terms of how they operate and what they do, and it's, it's always nefarious. You know, they do the dirty work of intelligence services, uh, but they can turn on you and make life miserable for you depending on who's their boss. Many times that they don't know who their boss is, they just know that certain things come down the pipe, and they are believed that they are of high authority, and they act on them. And it might be a setup for all they know. They yeah. know they know that their life lives and dies 
as a CIA uh, operative, and they could have a desk job, they could be on the field. That reminds me a lot about what happened with um, the CIA in Iraq, is that people will kind of say, like, oh, you trust the CIAs? Like, you know, remember the big time that the left was infighting during Russiagate? was like, well, they lied to us about weapons of mass destruction. Actually, they were informed by the Bush administration to find weapons of mass destruction. Well, I think the last time you said that, I corrected you by telling you No, I, 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 yeah. Bush knew so, his father sold and weapons. Reagan era, during the era of Reagan-Bush, Bush knew that the United States had sold Saddam Hussein Weapons of max destruction, which he used on the Kurds, for Christ's sake. Why does that keep on being talked about as if it didn't exist? Why? Because they couldn't find uh, new reserves of the weapons of mass destruction. My God, they gave them two years to move all that stuff into Syria. I mean, it was so obvious. By the time the U.N. voted and by the time Bush got traction and by the time the, the big move was made... Saddam had plenty of time to hide that stuff. And whatever he couldn't hide, he already had used on the Kurds. I mean, my God, he slaughtered the Kurds. I'll never forget that Time magazine. And they still didn't get their own country. And and they're the most, most, not the only time Joe Biden has ever been right in his entire freaking political life. He believed that uh, Iraq should have been diced up in three or four uh, regions. Shiite, Muslim, then Shiite. Uh, sorry, and then Sunni Muslim, and then the Kurds, who, quite frankly, had Christians in it, in the Kurd population. And guess what? Who would have won out if it was sliced up in three? The Kurds, because they got rain. They got green. They would have been able to have harvest. They could have fed the rest of Iraq with their harvest. And the only problem that the Kurds were always were always had was they shared that portion of, of of the Kurds, their lands share the border with Turkey. And Turkey wasn't going to like the Kurds being independent because they would have been very prosperous. So when it comes to Nanking, what do you think? Should I go 15 minutes or we or it would just be too dark? It's, <laughs> you know how I like briefly just said something really fast about the Holocaust and I quickly moved on? Yeah. Like, I'll let you know in Nanking that, um, Women's bodies were positioned on bayonets oh, in a very awful. horrific manner is kind of the nature of the crimes that we're talking about here. Okay, and this is uh, around like, 1600s. This is around the 1600s. This was in World War II. She was just documenting Yeah, this was books. World War II. Um, the big thing that, um, one of the biggest things that happened in uh, the Chinese occupation is that there was like a contest that the Japanese kind of held which was first guy to kill 100 civilians with a sword, wins a prize. Wow. So that's what these 15 minutes would have done. Like, you, you, you just would have been hearing, like, war crimes nonstop. But what, <laughs> so what I'll, 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 I'll educate the audience, but, like, I don't want to bring, as the kids called, the vibe down too much. Okay. They were... All right. So uh, I'll, I'll, since, I, since it's blind to me, I'll just watch it myself before I put it on the air because who knows? I might... <laughs> I might just be so appalled by what I just did that I won't do it. Well, it's here's the other aspect about war that we're talking about is that it's always there's an atrocity. A lot of, there's a lot of comments here. There's 4,700 comments, meaning it's up. It's been 208,000 people have watched it, 
And uh, let me see here. I haven't been able to find it when it was first posted. But it's a, a, but it's not the World War II era. It says here from 1603. Oh, to, 1603, yeah. To 1854, Japan was a closed society. No one could leave the country, and the foreigners were limited to a small port near Hiroshima. So when the American naval officer Matthew, show me more, forced Japan to open to trade and diplomacy. Oh, the gunboat. The gunboat situation. This wait, is a moment that they've wait never... Wait a second. Let me continue reading here. With the outside world, the country was 200 years behind the rest of the world economically, technologically, and militarily. Over the next 40 to 50 years, Japan transformed itself from a feudal society governed by the outdated warrior class to the regional power that it is today. In 1896, the Japanese defeated China in the first Sino-Japanese War over the... Sino. Sino-Japanese War over influence in Korea. Japan also won the island of Taiwan and several other concessions to the... uh, and several other concessions in Chinese cities, which essentially put the Japanese in control of small parts of China. However, Japan was not alone in this. By 1900, China was weak, corrupt, and divided power, along with the English, French, Germans, Russians, Americans. and Americans. <laughs> all, all, and all of the areas of that, that are China today. If it not for the direct control, were heavily influenced by the West. By 1904, this part's really important. Japan won a stunning victory over the Russian Empire. Okay, this part about what you said about China. When we talk about China, the reason we're kind of all nervous about China in the West is that this is a portion of Chinese history called the Century of Humiliation, which is that like their country was pretty much just. Used by every other major... Yeah, for raw goods. Yeah, for raw goods. Um, And during this time, which is very important, is um, Smeadley Butler is part of the um, five-star marine, four-star marine general, who war is a racket, participated in an event called the Boxer Rebellion. Yes. Which is that many martial artists in China believed they had supernatural abilities that would have been impervious to bullets. And it was pretty much a massacre. Um happened and this is um, a very important moment in Chinese history because this plants the seeds of their kind of their anger that fuels a lot of modern China today absolutely they definitely want to kick our butts and in some degrees they are succeeding they want to land they want our technology they're the, the kings of cut and paste and we're allowing them because we're on the take more and more the United States under modern legislative power of the left. That means also in state departments and in diplomacies and, and everything else, we've no longer a country per se. We're much more a marketplace for everybody in the world to get rich, including, perfect example, Elon Musk, who came to America and got really rich on a great idea. Thus, isn't it apropos that in 2014... From 12 to 14, I write a book called The Fiscals, The Reinvention of the United States by Affect, 
not effect. So, do I play this thing or not? Because now I'm enticed from the from the readings here. In 1920s and 30s, many internal external factors led to the Japanese military. If it's not increase. about the rape of Nanking, then go ahead. I thought it was going to be. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. You, here, here, let me look you, at it. Let me look it me, for the audience. You got me scared here. <laughs> uh, I stopped it just in time because the uh, the, the white guy showed up here. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. it's 59 it seconds. Unspeakable things. I, I, yeah, this this is it. This is it. Yeah. So you've actually seen this video before? Not this video, but I know about this event. Well, so... I, 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 this event is kind of like, you know how America has like sitting bull and slavery? Okay. Not sitting bull, wounded knee. Oh, when we slaughter the natives. Yeah, like um, those guys who were just completely innocent and surrendering. Yeah, we But a gun them. went off, so they thought they were going to shoot them. And they started just mowing down everybody. And the only American troops that were hurt were hit from friendly fire. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. There was a movie about it. Yeah. Oh, there was? Huh. Isn't there a movie about it, about a wounded knee? Uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee? Is that actually about that? I thought it was like a poetry book. Uh, I don't know. Let me look you it know, up. On this show, anytime I have doubts about anything I'm saying, or I just don't remember, or I can't, I'm incapable of figuring out what I'm saying, it's the famous Senator Fetterwoman's moment. In tribute to John Fetterman, who just beat a patent award-winning... Sued multiple times. Multiple times. The same envy that they, they accused Donald Trump of. Okay, Wounded Knee was about the entirety of the Indian-American experience at the hands of colonialism. Not just that singular event. Oh, okay. Clarified. Drum roll, please. Wait, does that... Does that no, nah, it's not really... A... I, I, would, I don't want to do a drum roll over mass murders. In other words, arthritic ovation. Well, I thought since we spoke about it in great length today, although we jumped around based on your knowledge more than my knowledge, because I don't have too much knowledge of those the events that were talked about, I was hoping, only because it was 15 minutes, that it spoke to something that... Uh, could be kind of scary, but when it comes to radio, when it comes to radio, maybe you shouldn't play stuff you haven't already heard. You know what I mean? Because you just really don't know what you just expose the audience to. So after the show's over, I'm going to watch it 15 minutes only, and if it's not really dark like he says, I'll play it next time. I'll play it next time. So in the end, we, you know. We, it almost seems as if we got a, you know. Do you know why the Japanese surrendered after the second bomb? Because uh, the third one would have eliminated Because the them? Russians were encroaching into their territory. Oh, please elaborate. Um, the Russian front was another part of the war that they were still going at. So they decided to take their chances with the United States over the Russians. They, they chose correctly. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing was that a lot of them were still prepared to keep going. It's something that's awesome. And we were allies at the time, so yeah, the Russians probably could have pulled this off. Is that uh, Japan was still really prepared not to surrender after... Um, not all of Japan, but certain portions... Well, the parts of the, that were bombed. ...of the military were still eager to keep hold on fighting. Yeah, to the death. Upon hearing the surrender, um, many people in Korea 
not Korea, Okinawa, my bad, were committing suicide. Uh, as a, hearing that the emperor had surrendered. Total dishonor. Yeah. Um, now, e- even Tojo, when they went to arrest him, had been found by American forces bleeding out. Wow. Who was the uh, the commander of you the to- Yeah, Tojo was pretty much the guy who, with a couple of other like religious and military-minded men, took over the Japanese government. And they were telling the emperor what to do, basically. Pretty much. I mean, what choice did he have? Not much. I mean, your military, wherever you put or allow to to exist militarily, they could take you out overnight. Oh, isn't that great that that doesn't happen here, though? Well, we don't really. <laughs> we don't. We. The truth is, I used to think that way, but uh, I think the military has blocked several presidents from doing military actions that they didn't find to be worthy. I think the one thing that actually makes has made me happier after the Trump years about being an American was like the kind of the impression that I got during the Obama years was that not only is there a consensus, but there are strings that are constantly pulled. And what I had kind of seen during the Trump years is that Comey was fighting over this. There was talk about like a P tape, like all sorts of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you're you're uh, and it's you're, like the f- you're really not up to date, are you? The whole no, thing but, was a scam, every but like bit the, of it. But the fact that it's like we didn't live in such a military junta state as like some people think. He's that the they, only president who didn't go to war. They the rest just, is propaganda. But they could have blown his, like, listen, like some people think the CIA, some people, including this guy, think the CIA might have killed Kennedy. Like, for all the problems that like Trump might have been doing for the intelligence. Remember when he was thinking of, when he was thinking of releasing the, those files and they yeah. told him, don't you dare. I, I thought it was so funny when liberals were like, no. You know, ta- you know who's talking that now? Yeah. Robert Kennedy. You know, it's funny. Is that I, remember, son. I remember when liberals were like, no, he's invalidating our intelligence community. And I'm like, wait, there are still people who trust the intelligence community? Well, understand that the intelligence community, they don't even trust each other. <laughs> they don't know where their information is coming from. They're just following orders kind of blindly. They're giving messages from someone above, but they don't know who's giving that person messages. But they're just doing what that person said because that's what they were told. I only listen to this particular guy. But do they really know what this particular guy is actually listening to or talking? Do you ever see the movie uh, Homeland that uh, that was quite quite interesting? It was kind of Homeland that um, it was HBO or Cinemax? yeah, it's Showtime. Yeah, Showtime. It, uh, it gives you an insight of how the communication channels are not really uh, no one really knows where the information is coming from. We do as the audience because it's part of the plot but the people, the players don't really know where they're getting their orders from they just are led to believe that it's supposed to be so therefore there is no real culpability when things go array or awry is that, what's the word? Array? Awry? Awry. 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 That in the new, end, goal, new goal for you for 2023? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. You got this. You got, got this. It. You got, got this, man. I got you it. You got this, man. There's a few brain cells left. I can remember. <laughs> After all, John... You got John, this. Believe in John, yourself. Yes, if John Fenner can become senator, so can I. Oh, my we God. We can still do it. I can do it. We have the technology. Let's, uh... And uh, I know that from my immigrant roots of being the son of immigrants... I know that the CIA, we had plenty of uh, smack to talk about 
the, the CIA's involvement in the Bay of Pigs and why they changed the landing site. If, you, if the audience is curious to know, go to University of Miami's Cuban Studies uh, website and see interviews with the Bay of Pigs veterans who chose to speak and the students asking them questions. A lot of this information that I have now... My grandpa almost went to that. Almost doesn't count. Yeah. My father almost... I'm glad he didn't because I got to see him. Yeah, I'm glad my father didn't because uh, he got to be my father. But uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know to what degree he was involved in even signing up. I don't know. He never claimed to to be involved in any way or form. Um, but he, like all of the us, we were raised to believe that uh, the backs were turned on us. And I have written a book based on denying manifest destiny. And I do that. I do believe that it's true that we really undermine our middle class. And that destiny, that, that that manifest destiny that we had as a country up until 1959. And since Cuba has been in this way, in this, in this gulag, in this hiding behind, like, you know, the, the, the chihuahua behind the fence, basically. I said that many times. I stole that from Joe Garcia, by the way. Joe, what's up? I, I know that if you hear this recording, I just shouted out to you. Joe is a Democratic Party operative who grew up just like me, talked just like me, but he went left and I went right. And Joe used to call Fidel the uh, the chihuahua behind the fence. And it's destabilized Latin America to the point where we've got millions and millions of people living here illegally. And that has suppressed middle class salaries for as long as we can fathom. And today people live paycheck to paycheck because of it. And it's serious, and uh, it's very hard for the average folk to just fix stuff. That maybe, they we be, maybe we can just move on past being um, an empire to manage our economy. Well, the, uh, that's, that, that's what I think would help. To Was that, that, to that it, point, you might get your way, because the leader, the, uh, the new general of the Southern Command, here in the, uh, a female, just proposed, she said it out of her own mouth, just propose, I'm going to find that in a moment. Just propose arming Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela with American weapons on the condition that they give up the Soviet weapons that they have, the Russian stuff that doesn't work, What's the and donate to Ukraine. Oh. She just said that. And we all are going, what? Why not just give the weapons to Ukraine. Why would you it just arm... It seems like an extra step. You, no. Why would you arm oh, our enemies? Oh, I get it. I get it. Oh, she's well, saying... They, she wants our... to make them not allies with Russia. Right. Oh. We got spare parts. We've oh. got we've got 15-year warranties. We can even yeah. bring and train you how to use this stuff. That's basically what she's saying. And I'm going, what? After 60 years of Cold <sighs> War, this is what's validated? That they actually are in bed with communism in South America? Hello? Is it really true? Well, when you hear her speaking in her own words, uh, you tell me. And this is like fresh. She was just introduced the other day during a Panther game. Right after the National Anthem, she dropped the, you know, they do that ceremonial drop the puck thing with the, with the, two, with the, the two teams doing a face-off. And lo and behold, the next day, uh, I see the video, which I don't know if it's chronologically correct. I don't think I saw it the very day she said it. 
but uh, it's the harshest reality you can imagine. Uh, what am I supposed to tell you other than I think the jokes uh, looks like Trotsky finally got his wish. Total appeasement of our enemies, courtesy of Joe Biden's State Department. Do you remember when uh, Hillary Clinton said Celia should be returned back to Honduras after they kicked him out for being a commie? No. Supreme Court, Congress, President, everybody said, dude, you got elected, man, but you got to go. And they let him come back, I think, uh, two or three years later to go back to his property and just shut up and be a farmer. But she actually wanted to return him back to the presidency. And that's the part that drives me crazy about the U.S. State Department. It's always been... Uh, it's always been, you know, a, a piecer of communism worldwide. No, the problem is that is that we have a massive sort of military industry, I guess, that seeks to keep existing for its own sake. How so about it, because it, our enemies are our own sake? Okay, but that's the thing. Blowback. What they just what they call blowback is almost designed into the system. It's not even winning or losing anymore. It's about keeping it going. That can't possibly be true when our enemies really want to kick our ass, including the little boys called terror. I mean, you, you, you say th- this, but look, look at what just happened to Iran, right? This is a country we've been fighting with forever. You say Iraq, you mean? Iran. Oh, we don't fight Iran. We but appease that, them. We arm them, and we money look, launder look, with them. What happened? You know what happened last World Cup? Is that people were cheering when the United States beat the Iranian team? Well, so and, it, and it's, those players were probably executed when they got back to Iran. So what so are you telling it, it, me? It's just like okay, because here's the point: is that like I think you're missing people the point. like us when it comes to managing having to put up with a superpower. Perhaps we no longer need to constantly. Being like, we no longer have to act and feel like Genghis Khan to get by anymore. Like, I, my whole political existence and memory is this attitude constantly backfiring. Um, is wanting an extremely exploitable military that could just do whatever we want whenever we wanted to, you know, check where this, we can just destroy for, whoever we want to. Check this out for the, the lefty of YouTube. Well, I mean, check. How does this happen? I put in the search engine. Southern commander seeks to arm Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. You know what I get? Folks, hold your hat. Watch the 2020 Democratic debate. That's exactly what I got. Look, I don't want you to. I don't want you to think I'm making stuff up. Cuba. Um, there are videos about Cuba as well. But look what's number two. The 2020 Democratic debate. Why? Because they mentioned Cuba in the debate. Ah, four minutes, uh, four, the entire debate, four hours, or is that four minutes? Oh, my God. Some Cubans hope Nicaragua could, please, okay. I, 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 I My Google search basically sucked because I didn't get what I wanted. So I'm going to put uh, arm donations, arm, arm. Donations. Uh, I want to take a question for the audience. What country do you want us to arm today? What <laughs> new country should we, for the sake of it, and for a couple of Pentagon guys to be able to complete their use of budget of the year, what country should we flood with weapons? It's we you, want your suggestions. The answer is Ukraine. How many, how many uh, 
Tanks are we sending them? Three tanks, I think? No, 33 tanks? That's what I heard in the news today. Oh, my God. I mean, I get... I feel like... You didn't want I the feel, other guy who wanted to stay I out of Iran. I feel a little bit different about Ukraine for one reason, because I think about um, what happened in Vietnam. And people are like, well, you know, the Russians are arming the Viet Cong, and it's like, well, should they not be armed? They're being attacked. And I kind of feel like, well, now it's the situation's on another foot. Now, yeah, America's so- arming another group of people who've done really nothing to deserve being attacked. Well, you still got to answer for why Putin went, went into the Ukraine. Pipeline that ran through there. Why? Why? I know that it's historical that the Ukraine's, um, m- most of the wars that that involved Europe, uh, the, the, the fiercest battles were in the Ukraine. I know that the Nazis had a terrible time in the Ukraine. And the, uh, there's a city in Ukraine that really put up the fight and really gave the Nazis uh, their ass handed to them, even though they they lost more more citizens, more soldiers, and more innocents. But the Ukrainians have always uh, come out on top, and I think that's going to be the case now. I think they're going to, you know, they're going to win this war, and I'll tell you why. It's very simple. They're fighting for their freedom, my it's friend. Their, it's their homeland. It's their homeland, yes. Russians are going to get kind of like, wait, why are we going over here? I know this because I'm an American, and I've seen this happen multiple times to us. It's one of those things where you're like, uh, you're, uh, you're overwhelmed, man. You just can't believe this, the, uh, that the world uh, in any way or form needed this. I mean, why the hell did Putin do it other than he feared for his own life? Because he's dying of cancer, and yeah. I think he wanted to get this out of the way. Because this was probably on Russia's plan, but then he was like, I might die soon. So he decided to go for it. Or they might kill me if I don't start this war. Because they keep the uh, keep them from coming after me. Because usually despots super paranoid of being overthrown, so they'll do anything to stay in power. By like other people in their party? Yeah, but exactly. Um, absolutely. Um, it's always been, I mean, isn't that the reason why uh, Kim does the things he does in North Korea? Anytime he smells that they're going to take him out. He, he fires a nuclear weapon somewhere and creates all kinds of a stir, and then we give him a bunch of money for him to stop firing weapons. And um, I don't Man, know the Koreans th- just got the worst of the Cold War. Like, I don't know. North and South, like, it, they're like the exaggerated worst caricatures of having to deal with the Americans and having to deal with, like, communists. It's like, okay, you know... Here is this progressively rhetoric um, feudal state dynasty of just a military cult hero ruling forever to the point that his family inherits the throne, right? And then the other side is, welcome to this dictatorial peasant working, you know, place of ruin. You'll be worked until you die. I mean, what would put one in the Ukraine uh, if it's going to be all destroyed anywhere? Does he just want to just kill U- Ukraine? I mean, what? I, I think it's about um, it's about establishing a long perceived grievance that Russians have always had on the world stage that they 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 want a little bit more respect in what they're getting. They feel like 
they're not the proper power that they should be. Like, remember, Russia has, like, the second biggest or third biggest military in the world? Russia? Yeah. Like, they have a better military than, like, England at this point. Uh, that, yeah, if you're comparing it to England, perhaps. Like, they, but... they, they um, like, the Soviet Union's strength was not really anything, like, they weren't really good at p- propaganda. They weren't really good at a lot of things. It was East Germany, the, the German communists, who were good at delivering the propaganda. If you hear about, like, Allied war crimes, like Dresden, that was spread by, like, East German communists. Okay, I think I found so, but, uh, it. Two hold minutes. On, hold on, let me just say it real fast. Um, but, like, Russia's strength was military when it was the Soviet Union, right? That was really how they flexed their power. And they want to spend that. You know, it's kind of like in America and Rumsfeld. Okay, go. This is uh, Laura Richardson, the new commander of the U.S. Southern Command here in Doral. And she's about to tell us what's really up so that maybe Cubans can stop barking, stop making a big deal out of you know invading Cuba and Nicaragua and Venezuela and getting rid of tyrants so that we our fatherland will be free, our motherland will be free. Uh, it ain't so. Americans... Don't think of it that way. Remember what I said about America just being a marketplace? This kind of smells like it. Let's see. Why this region matters with all of its rich resources and rare earth elements. You've got the lithium triangle, which is needed for technology today. 60% of the world's lithium uh, is in the lithium triangle, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile. You just have the largest oil reserves, light sweet crude discovered off of Guyana over a year ago. Um, you have uh, Venezuela's resources as well with, uh, with oil, uh, copper, gold. Um, China gets 30, 36% of its food source from this region. We have the Amazon, uh, lungs of the world. We have the, 31% of the world's fresh water in this region too. Um, I mean, it's just off the charts. But then when you talk about trade, trade is unbelievable. The trade uh, in the region, you know, I talked about all the ties that we have with this hemisphere. Uh, but the PRC and a lot of our uh, countries in this region are, is the number one trade partner with the United States, uh, number two in most cases, not in most cases, I would say in some cases. Uh, however, uh, to see the increase in investment in trade from 2002 from China, 18 billion, uh, up to 450 billion now, and on its way, what is predicted to be about 750 billion uh, in the near future. And so, I think we have a lot at stake. Uh, we have a, a lot to be grateful for in terms of the relationships with our uh, with our partner nations and our hemisphere that is that we're part of, and in the Americas. But we have to we have a lot to do. This region matters. It has a lot to do with national security, and we need to step up our game. And we need to be faster. And we need to work and deliver capabilities at the speed of relevance for this region. Why this region matters for water. That's not what I was looking for. That has been edited. What I saw, the one I saw... I I saw what you're possibly talking about. Is that America doesn't want to lose the natural resources of this region. No, they've already lost it. 400 billion to Chinese? Hello? We had this all to ourselves and we, we ignored it. 
We ignored the trade because we don't. We have to. We have denied manifest destiny. No, She's it, telling me it's that I'm right. We wanted to focus on. As Rumsfeld has successfully, we are living with the legacy of Donald Rumsfeld more than anyone who's ever gotten an executive office recently, is that we are living with the legacy of wanting a modernized and up-to-date military to keep our power. And this has clearly backfired on us. Because uh, it turns yeah. out so China you're, you're, much... So you're pinning it all on Rumsfeld. Unbelievable. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Screw it's Rumsfeld. <laughs> Screw Rumsfeld. Like I, I, I doubt anybody will see or defend Rumsfeld. Please defend. I know I'm not going to let you go uh, there because Rumsfeld, I want please. I want to find out what I heard and I want the audience to hear when she says Obama even successfully continued pushing the Rumsfeld um, restructuring of the military. Well, he hey. got he got rid of everybody he didn't like. That's for sure. Yeah, but the, including he would, General he would, Flynn, um, what he successfully did is that he minimalized. Um, there was a big fight in the beginning of the Iraq War where there was like a report that we would need like four hundred thousand troops to occupy Iraq, and Rumsfeld wanted to make it like a whole zero less, like forty thousand. Right? I'll get back to that numbers to um, on Friday for everyone. But Rumsfeld was fighting with the CIA to make it less. Sick. And what he said is that you don't go to war with the army you wish you had. You go to war with the army you have. So th this was all Rumsfeld's doing. This highly expensive, um, more expertise-focused military that is totally disconnected and has nothing to do with the rest of American life, but that we're all paying for is his legacy. Uh kind of like a stretch there. I I will I will agree to only this. Bush was very loyal to him to the bitter end. He might have uh he might have failed in keeping him in power as long as he did. And um that's all I can really say. I'm not really in a position to say yes or no that Rumsfeld actually led uh Bush by the nose uh on the invasion of Iraq. I believe he was more doing it to uh, up and not upend, but to st stand up as dad. In other words, dad, you should have finished the job. I'm gonna. You yep. always underestimated me. I'm gonna finish the job, kind of thing. And I could see. Well, you think I'm the dumb son, though. Let me show you how dumb I really am. Yeah. So something. I will almost single-handedly end the American Empire in over, over, in a decade. Over Iraq now. Yeah. You think so? Dude, that's why the reason we're in the slump we're in, man. We're do, in the slump. Do you think guys like me would have these positions right now if it wasn't for, like, what happened over these couple of years? Like, first, a needless war we, that we, accomplished we, we, nothing, we, we, and we, then a financial we. crisis where none of the perpetrators of it got punished? Dude, that forms all of us. That's like, you want to know what happened to our generation? It was those two things back to back. Like, if you ever wondered why, like, Occupy Wall Street didn't really make sense, it was the delayed anger about this. Uh, you sound like the guy's uh, Vietnam. It's just like the disgruntled in Vietnam. All yeah. right, I'm going to play another one here. I mean, hey, hey, you're disgruntled about the Bay of Pigs. That I, defines your politics. I, um, I, I can argue that. Um, 
I can. I think it's really changed the American culture because it created an anti-establishment movement that is the Vietnam era. And as a result of fighting communism in the Far East that the French already proved that they couldn't do, and Cuba was allowed to have the, the, the tyranny that destabilized all of Latin America that allowed the Chinese to take over the commerce there. Believe me, if you don't think Cuba had a tremendous influence on all the communist revolutions presently going on. What, what happened, what it did, is that it told them there is a way to tell the United States to off. Because um, I remember um, all right, around, I gotta, around I gotta 2000, play. even Mexico, all of these countries wanted to get on board with NAFTA. They wanted okay, to trade I with us. I need to play uh, the video. See, you're making... Um, okay. Jeez. I'm only talking I'm, on a talk show. Just, I'm sorry. Jeez. But you know, I got the video. Pull. Go ahead, go ahead, put it on, put it on. I'm just... Something's going on where, uh, uh, what happened? Something's going on on the board here. What am I doing wrong here? What am I doing wrong here? What am I doing wrong here? This region is so rich in resources, uh, rare earth minerals, lithium. The lithium triangle is in this region. Uh, there are a lot of things that this region has to offer. The Belt and Road Initiative, 21 of the 31 countries are signatories. Over the last five years, 2017 to 2021, uh, investment over 50 billion, I think it might be even closer to 100 billion of Chinese investment in this region. I think they're playing chess. Russia is also prevalent in this region and I think they're playing checkers. I think they're there to undermine uh, the United States. They're, un they're there to undermine uh, democracies and they all mean business. Whether they're playing chess or checkers, they're there to undermine democracy. And quite honestly, with all of the disinformation uh, and the uh, Russia Today, Espanol, Sputnik Mundo, over 30 million followers on Russia were on social media. I mean, this is very concerning. We have a lot of important elections coming up or just happened. Uh, and we have to continue to stay engaged and concerned with this region. Hmm. Uh, just to talk a little bit about that in terms of um, the malign state actors that we have uh, active and very active in the region. I talked about that uh, we do have competition, and I would say that we are very much in strategic competition in the Western Hemisphere uh, and with the People's Republic of China, uh, Russia, Third would be transnational criminal organizations uh, that, uh, that occur in this region. And so certainly with the buildup, the largest military buildup in history on mainland China. And so that is very concerning to me. And then to see the encroachment and to see the tentacles of the PRC into the countries within the Western Hemisphere so close to the United States very much concerns me. Uh, just to talk a this region is so rich in resources. Uh, just to talk a little bit. I'm about trying that, my best. Of, I really uh, am. But this region but is so rich in resources. There isn't it. Like she's pretty much said it. What you're talking about is that she wants to counter Russia. She wants to counter China by reaching out to these countries. 
Yes, but she doesn't say what I actually want you all to hear. She wants... Oh, I'm a big stupid liberal who's weak in the knees. Uh, I'm going to bow to our enemies. Uh. Uh, It's called Concordia, America, southern of Miami. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stephanie Foster, partner at Smash Strategies and our esteemed panel. Oh, come on, man. Let me see. Let me go straight to uh, uh, Smash Strategy comes first and then comes her. I'm gotta get this video here. I gotta get it because it's kind of like a Davos, but for this area we here. Two more minutes. Um, we'll, we'll open up with it. Um, wait, wait sh- what, what was the what was the thing that I had to fact check? Because oh, right, the number of troops. In You're not allowed to have a Fetterman moment. Only the I number, am. The number of troops I have in Iraq. Your purview so and how you are looking at your job as head of Southcom. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Um, <clears throat> hi, everybody. How are you today? Yeah, thanks for being here. And I know we have a really uh, large streaming audience, too, but it's my honor to be here and to be able to Six months talk ago. about what I see and get to share with you what I see and what I feel. And when I look in leaders' eyes, when I go into the region and I go to these countries and I uh, am able to meet with these leaders, uh, the challenges that they are facing and what they, are, uh, what they need from the United States to be successful. And so I would like to uh, just first and foremost put out that uh, really this is a call to action, a call to action. And that's to all of you in the audience and all of you listening to us today. And, uh, and as I like to say, our uh, national defense strategy that Secretary Austin uh, has been working on from the Department of Defense, he uses the term integrated deterrence. And what I mean and what he means by integrated deterrence, I think what we've been putting integrated deterrence into action every day in this region, uh, but it is a call to action, I think, right now at this particular time. And what does that mean? That means everybody coming together. It's a whole of government approach, and I mean a whole of government. It's everybody. It's everybody in the audience. Uh, it's academia, it's industry, it's non-governmental organizations, and it's coming together uh, as a call to action to put investment, uh, a strategy, a Western Hemisphere strategy uh, of investment into this region. And I think that, quite honestly, at this point in time, this is a tipping point that I see, uh, and it either can go positively, or, as we see, some things are tre- uh, trending negatively. And I would say uh, the negative part uh, is due in part to COVID. And, uh, and this region has been hit hard to, with COVID, and we're still dealing with COVID, right, in the United States. Uh, but I'd like to, you know, I find myself uh, educating and informing people when I talk to different audiences just how close this region is uh, and just how close it is to the United States. But we are really neighbors. And when you talk about family, and you talk about the connections that we have in the Americas to, uh, to together with all of us, uh, it's really pretty tremendous. But I, I get to see what our uh, competitors are doing. And certainly with integrated deterrence, it's a call to action because of the security threats that I see. And I see that it's a threat to, to democracy. And I see this as I, as I go into the region, and I see, um, I see uh, one of our competitors or adversaries, uh, which is uh, the PRC, the People's Republic of China. 
and going in there with large uh, amounts of uh, cash and infrastructure projects going under the guise of infrastructure investment cash research. in the United States traded with that's not them. what's coming out on the other end this region is so rich in resources uh, rare earth minerals lithium the lithium triangles in this region uh, there are a lot of things that this region has to offer and so it concerns me when I've seen um, uh, the military, the huge military buildup that the Chinese have done in their own homeland. And then I see the investments of uh, deep water ports, 5G, technology, um, all of these different things, space infrastructure. Why is the most space infrastructure for the Chinese in this region? I just, just ask people to pause. Why do we have this investment, what looks to be investment, but yet we have this huge, unprecedented military buildup on the other end? What I worry about as a military person uh, and being concerned about security <clears throat> is facilities that are, can be used as dual-use facilities. They look like they're civilian facilities and businesses and things like that, uh, owned by the state and that can be turned to be used for a military reason. And I worry about that. And then I see that these, uh, these investments are very concerning. I like to say that the Chinese are uh, setting the theater, which is really a doctrinal term in the military, or I could say they're setting the table, right? And setting the table for what? I think they're playing chess. Russia is also prevalent in this region, and I think they're playing checkers. I think they're there to undermine uh, the United States. They're, un they're there to undermine uh, democracies, and they all mean business. Whether they're playing chess or checkers, they're there to undermine democracy. And quite honestly, with all of the disinformation uh, and the uh, Russia Today, Espanol, Sputnik Mundo, over 30 million followers on Russia were on social media. I mean, this is very concerning, and this is what I see. Now, now, from Southcom, I think that we're very special in the respect that we can put all these things together because we see it. Uh, we get to go in the region, we get to talk to leaders, and then we just count up all of these different things. The Belt and Road Initiative, 21 of the 31 countries are signatories. Over the last five years, 2017 to 2021, uh, investment over 50 billion I think it might be even closer to $100 billion of Chinese investment in this region. Now, uh, in terms of what I have the capability to do is bring the Army Corps of Engineers uh, into the region. Over the last five years, that investment is $250 million. A B versus a, the M here. There's a big difference. And so that's why I put that out there. Um, I try to work and use and inform and educate, but anybody that has a reason to go in here and invest and be a good partner, our partners want to partner with the United States. It is our partnerships to lose. And we have to be on the field and we have to have our jersey on and we have to be working with our partners to help them with their security challenges. And I see that the transnational criminal organizations the counter-narcotics, the human trafficking, the illegal logging, the illegal mining, the IUU fishing, illegal, unregulated, unreported fishing that is happening in this region. 
that creates the wedge of insecurity and instability that causes irregular migration. And then that, that just opens the door for the competitors like uh, the PRC and Russia to move in and flourish as well and just continue to spread insecurity and instability. These militaries and security forces are trying their best and they're tired. When I see them, they work 24-7. They are on call all the time. And as we see with the protests and the different things that are happening throughout the region, because the democracies are trying to deliver for their people and they're having a hard time doing it. But we're trying to uh, uh, empower them based on the human rights, the rule of law, all of those things to make them stronger as they work through these issues that they have in their countries. But we have to, it's a, like I said, it's a call to action and we need everybody coming together, investing in this hemisphere, but we need to have a strategy. It can't just be here and there. We have a lot of important elections coming up or just happened, uh, and we have to continue to stay engaged and concerned with this region. So I've taken, taken way more time. Uh, I'm very sorry to my, my counterparts, but back over to you, Stephanie. Thank you for the time. Well, thank you, General. Question. And I know your, uh, your colleagues here on the panel were very gracious. Now, it still didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Uh, it was the unvarnished. We build liberal. Uh, we, we should arm our enemies. Uh. Yeah, I wanted you to hear it because you right now, at the end of our show, I wanted you to hear what she said, what I heard her say. Now, I, I think if you have an invested interest in upkeeping America power, she made sense. I don't disagree with anything she said. I, I think if, if like, I'm you just telling you that you should like what she said. That's that's all I'm, I'm say. telling you. What she just said was denied manifest destiny. That's what she said. She said that we lost our way in Latin America. Guess what? She hasn't mentioned Cuba once, but she did mention Russia and China. Guatemala, mentioned Nicaragua, mentioned no, Brazil, only Cuba. Mentioned Chile. Because Cuba's where Argentina, Cuba's mentioned Brazil. Yes, but but that dual facility, that dual that dual facility that she's talking about already exists in Lourdes, Cuba, the first one. We, it, we've seen, it was a Soviet sure. surveillance facility. But we've and, seen what force comes when we use it as we please. We see the results it gets us. I think we've tried enough. You know, when everything, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh my God, that's stolen from me. I, I, I stole that from a former intelligence guy. Who God, I used it all the time, man. It's stolen from a former intelligence I'm happy guy. that you're using it, though. Yeah. And he was talking about the fact that, like, no one else in the department thought the Russians going into Afghanistan could be a major mistake for them. Uh, I think it was, yeah. yeah it was. So, uh, September 11th did a, a serious, uh, through a tremendous monkey wrench into foreign policy of this country. That's for sure. And if Americans don't realize that they're being hoodwinked because they're ignoring Latin America, she's telling you flat out, we're losing that battle. We're losing that battle big time. And um, for some reason, I can't really understand that this Summit of the Americas 
why this why this little antidote is doesn't in this twenty two million twenty two minute piece we've gone. she didn't say it. Damn it. And I gotta just have to wait. Uh and, and maybe she does let's see here. She's back on. Let's see what happens. The moderator is going to ask her another question. I've moved it along to the twenty-second, uh, to the nineteenth minute of twenty-two minutes. So, bear with me here. Let's see what happens, and I'll end the show as soon as she says what I'm hoping she would say. We're going to be here a long time. Uh, you know, gentlemen. within each country and 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 regionally. So, issues of inclusion. How do we include women? Other uh, underserved. Community. So I'm going to start with you. I will give my minute to the general. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll do the same. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> this is a very nice <laughs> panel here. Okay, General Richardson, the floor is yours for that. It's a woman. You know, how how you, can we think about inclusion and including women and other underserved people as we build, try to build these? Yeah, more feminists had to blow it. No, but this society. is actually. Well, hold on. thank you for the question. Uh, Here we go. What she says. Just opening up the population. It's the talent pool, and uh, why keep fifty percent of the talent pool closed off? I'd like to say that uh, this region uh, is uh, Latin America and the Caribbean is a leader in uh, women being in leadership positions. We have a woman president in Honduras. We have a vice president in Argentina. We have a woman prime minister in Barbados. We have the only woman chief of defense in Jamaica, in the world. And uh, we, we just have leaders. We have a minister of defense for Chile and a woman minister of defense. So I mean, Latin America is leading and the Caribbean, they're leading with women, peace and security. But in Southcom, we use women, peace and security as a core value. We bake it into everything that we do, every trip I do, every visit I do in a country. We bring together, it's not just women, peace, and security, but senior enlisted leader development. That is what makes our uh, U.S. military so strong, is our enlisted as well. And so this program has off the charts, just like women, peace, and security. I go to these countries and I always use the analogy of how many Olympic athletes do you have in your country? that participated. There's no reason why you can't uh, flourish with women and diversity and increase your readiness of your service and your, your services and your military and security forces. And so I uh, really like to highlight the fact that I think Latin America, and the, Latin America and the Caribbean is a leader in women, peace, and security. Well, I want to thank all of you. It's been a pleasure. That sucks, man. I didn't get what I wanted. Oh, sorry. You sorry. Didn't, you didn't get a liberal peeing their pants. Sure enough, I did get a liberal, a feminist liberal. Castro. Who, oh, I think oh, we turned get Castro to nuclear codes to the United States so they can finish us once and for all. Oh, uh, no, but like... Um, uh, women, hello. Women, women we just men. released Ala, um, uh, Anna Belen Montes, who was at the women top of in intelligence. Did you not know? Women in military is actually good, so when we start dealing... Yes, no one's debating like that, not. but, you know, that wasn't a question that I was looking for. Come on. What I wanted to say is that, like, when we go to many Middle Eastern countries where men and women are very segregated... Women can actually engage with women troops can actually engage with the locals, so there is actually a strategic reason to have women in the armed forces. No one wants to debate women in the military. Okay, it's got its problems. 
You know, she's the head of Southern Command. She seems to be very knowledgeable. No one's debating that. The, well, we went 15 minutes over time. Actually, we started 15 minutes late, so we're, yeah. this is the only time we I actually went the full hour. People what there were. Yeah. We, uh, you, uh, I hope, I hope you're happy with us today because for considering we're very spontaneous and doing the show, the young and old is just in uh, doing the doing uh, the layman's work here. We went from the Orient all the way to right here next door. On Blink Radio 94.5, that was the 21st episode of the Young and Old Show. So, I say goodbye. Would you like to say something? Yeah. Um, cut the Pentagon budget. God, can you believe it? Cut the feminists out of the war. Please, let Listen, them stay if, home. Listen, if you're in an alphabet agency... Come on, I man. I don't think you should be Leave handling that much money. Leave women out of war so they can make babies to make new armies. See you, my friends. WSQF Blink Radio. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.